Good morning. Welcome to Grace Point. Welcome to all you joining us online this morning. Um, it's great to see you. Sean, you could stand up. Sean was youth pastor here for a while. He's back visiting, so if you know Sean, make sure you say hi to him. I know. Sorry, buddy, I embarrassed you. I don't care about you. I care about the veterans, so we don't want to embarrass those guys. Um, boy, did the seasons change fast here, didn't they? I went from raking last week and then now there's snow on the ground. And I was thinking on the Winter Olympics. I, I love to watch the Winter Olympics because they're so different from anything else you'll see. I, I like to watch the skiing and all that kind of, and the snowboarding. And last Winter Olympics, I was kind of taken uh, aback a bit about uh, Sean White's story. <clears throat> he, he, that was his fifth Olympics that he was participating in. So for 20 years, this guy's been snowboarding. And he was reflecting on that as he's being interviewed. And he was talking about how a lot of the people he was actually, um, you know, competing against were just young children watching him uh, and getting interested in the sport because of him. Uh, and now he was competing against them. And then he kind of laughed and said, and they're beating me, you know. Um, and and he, he was just so passionate about the sport. Board. As we continue on to First Peter today, um, one of the things we're going to see presented to us this morning is this idea that you and I to passionately live for God, to have this passion that drives us to this lifelong adventure of being in Christ. Uh, Sean reflected on his last 20 years in the Olympics, and he said with tears in his eyes, I remember this really vividly, it's been a really good life. It's been a really good life. Here's what I hope we uh, get to. We get to the end of our days and we can say with tears in our eyes, it's been a good life following Jesus Christ. It's been the best life I could have lived. I uh, do this more frequently now than I ever have in my life, but eh, Vicky and I have a good day and, and, or things go really well. I acknowledge it. I'll say, it was a good day. It was a good weekend. It was a good trip. It was a good, you know, event. And we just both kind of go, yeah, it was a good day. It's a good habit to get into. And I just pray that uh, our goal is simply this, as the people of God, that we live for God. That's where Peter takes us now in 1 Peter chapter 4. Live for God. So uh, I want to get you percolating with me by asking you some introductory questions. So listen to this. What do you think it means to live for God? If a neighbor came to you and said, hey, I noticed that you live entirely differently. You seem to live for God. Tell me about that. What would you say? In what ways is it the same for all believers? Is there a universal call for all believers to live a certain way? And in what ways does it differ from believer to believer? What does God particularly want you to do and stand for? Where do you fall short in living for God? Why? There's a lot of areas in my life where, if I'm really honest, I'm chronically frustrated at my shortness. That I just don't do what I should be doing. And then where do you think you do well with living for God and why? So with that bit of questioning, let's get into the scripture this morning. We're going to read from 1 Peter chapter 4, <clears throat> verses 1 through 11. Listen to what is said here. Therefore, since Christ suffered in his body, arm yourselves also with the same attitude, because whoever suffers in the body is done with sin. As a result, they do not live the rest of their earthly lives for evil desires, but rather for the will of God. For you have spent enough time in the past doing what pagans choose to do, living in debauchery, lust, drunkenness, orgies, carousing, and detestable idolatry. 
They are surprised that you do not join them in the reckless, wild living, and they heap abuse on you. But they will have to give account to him who is ready to judge the living and the dead. For this is the reason the gospel was preached even to those who are now dead, so that they might be judged according to human standards in regard to the body, but live according to God in regards to the spirit. The end of all things is near. Therefore, be alert and of sober mind so that you may pray. Above all, love each other deeply because love covers over a multitude of sins. Offer hospitality to one another without grumbling. Each of you should use whatever gift you have received to serve others as faithful stewards of God's grace in its various forms. That's our memory verse. If anyone speaks, they should do so as one who speaks the very words of God. If anyone serves, they should do so with the strength God provides. So that in all things God may be praised through Jesus Christ. To him be the glory and the power forever and ever. And everybody said, Amen. This is powerful scripture. So, let me take you on a, a little bit of a, a, a review here, um, because Peter definitely continues where we left, where we left off last week. Um, last week, Peter's talking about this idea that in the believer's life, there's a couple streams uh, that are making a confluence, a couple streams of thought. First of all, you are, if you are a Christ follower, you are a beloved son or daughter of Jesus Christ, right? You are blessed. You are blessed beyond, basically, comprehension. And then Peter says... Into this stream of thought comes this other stream forming kind of a confluence. They're coming together. You're probably going to suffer some persecution, some trial, some hardship as a follower of God. Even so, because you're blessed, out of that blessedness, you should conduct yourself in a godly manner. You should, you should understand and, and that, that even in, in persecution, that you respond by blessing those who persecute you. All right, so now those two, two, two streams of thought have come together and, and are forming kind of this full-orbed experience that we're going to have as a Christ follower. Now, Peter simply says, listen, if you're in Jesus, just like he suffered, you're going to suffer some because it's demonstrating that you no longer live according to the flesh but according to the Spirit. But then he goes on, and it's more than about not doing some things and, and, and suffering. He says, now listen, live for God. Live for the will of God, and he explains what that looks like here in this note to us this morning, in this, in this writing to us uh, this morning. Uh, and that's what we're going to zoom into uh, today. What, what does it mean to live for God? And so I came up with three words, three accompanying phrases that I hope summarizes the scripture that we read this morning really well and will help us to kind of latch on to some things uh, to do if we really want to live uh, for for God. So the first word is priorities or prioritize. Sinful activities like debauchery, lust, drunkenness, orgies, carousing, and idolatry, they no longer are what define you. Now, I, I find myself landing on idolatry and just consider that for a moment. Anytime I give an allegiance to something other than God where it captures my heart and I begin to trust that and think on that more than God, you know what that's called? It's idolatry. And I think when we get through a season like the pandemic, it was an opportunity afforded to us to really trust and depend on God. Not on the government, not on a career, but on God. I think we missed some things if we didn't figure that out. And I, I really look at this and say, you know what? We need to call it what it is. When I'm trusting something other than God, it's idolatry and it's wrong and sinful. 
so I have to have these priorities of following God, make following God uh, will your priority in life. It just has to be something that I, I focus on. It occupies my mind. Um, you, do, you, you come to this mindset that I spend enough time on worldly pursuits that don't satisfy, and I'm going to do the will and the way of God as much as possible. And don't be surprised if you're judged by others. When you don't join in with what they're doing, they're going to wonder why are you different, and then they're going to, they're, they're going to try to bring you down a notch and, and, and make you feel bad. Just don't be surprised by that. So let's talk on will here for a bit. What does it mean to follow the will of God? What is the will of God? And what does it entail? What does it mean then to be a follower who's about the will of God? Well, will comes from the Greek word uh, thelma, which means to live to please God. You have this purpose directing you. So if we live for the will of God, we're, we're doing life in a way that I, I want to please God first and foremost with how I live. And that, that purpose is driving me. And now it becomes an, an expression of pleasure on our part to do this because it's very satisfying. And it pleases God when we live this way. And the result is you, you, you experience this deep-seated joy. So living the rest of one's earthly life for the will of God means you live to please God and this creates joy in you as a follower. Now, there's a lot of confusion around the word will. I'll, I'll freely admit this. Years ago, so long ago, that it's really ancient history. Some of you college students weren't even born yet. I did college ministry here at this church. And one of the big questions that that group always posed to me, because I was an old man at the time. I was 38. Woo! Um, yeah, you should laugh at that. Um, they thought I had my life together, which, no, I was just farther on in the confusion ladder of life experience. Um, but they were trying to determine God's will for their lives. That was frequently a thought process going on in that moment in life. When you're young, I, I, what, what's God's will for me? What, and what they meant by that is, who should I marry? And what career should I pursue? And, you know, where should I end up living? And all those major questions. And I frequently did exhaustive studies on finding the will of God. At the, and I, I'm gonna, I pulled some of that back out. And I, I want, since we're using this river analogy that, you know, this confluence I used from last week of the Yellow River coming in together with the Missouri River is, is like God's blessedness and this idea that trials coming together here in, in First Peter to form one big stream of thought. Well, here's what we do here. I'm going to get to that in a moment. Here's what we do when, it look, when we look at the will of God. We think it's like this. I'm, I'm going down this road, right? And oh man, now there's a fork in the road. Do I go right? Do I go left? And there's a lot of consternation and a lot of anxiety. I could make the wrong decision. I might go right when I ought to go left. You know, and, and maybe this is, you know, marrying this girl. This is not marrying this girl. Whatever you want to put in there for the decision, it's viewed as a fork in, in the road, right? Kind of, kind of experience. And I got to discover God's will and go down the right road. I want to encourage you, just throw that out. <laughs> because I think God's will is more like this. I think God's will is more like a river. I'm kind of stuck on rivers right now. You'll just have to forgive me about that. But it, it, it's like you get caught up and swept up in the current of God's will. It's like you're in a river and it just sweeps you along and you're living in the midst of his uh, will. I do a little bit of kayaking. Anybody do kayaking in here? I'm just curious. Yee! Really? I never had a hoot for that. Now, now I'm going to feel bad, but I'm going to share. I kayak. I kayak, and I like to kayak, sort of. 
But it's a lot of work. Especially when you're going from like lake to lake and you're going against the wind and all that kind of stuff. So I'll kayak about 10 times a year, but I never come back going, woo! I come back and say, that was good for my body, but I don't know if I like it that much. So last summer, I did something different kayaking. My son and I both thought, how can we motorize this experience? <laughs> right, Kirby? I like a boat with a motor on it. So I thought, what we'll do is we'll go to a river. And we'll kayak with the current. Brilliant, right? So my son, Nate, and I, and my son-in-law, Bruce, and my granddaughter, Kieran, went to a river. And we kayaked for five miles with the current. Best experience ever. It was like having a massive motor on that thing. It went so fast. And the only thing was, there's lots of obstacles in the river that you want to avoid called big rocks and logs. And for a while, I seemed to be hitting every single one of them. At one point, I got wedged in there, and I was backwards, and then, you know, but I'm going, this is exhilaratingly fun. I didn't know that something could be so fun, and I got all done with that five miles, and you know what I thought? I'm not tired at all. I'm wet, and I'm a little bit, like, junky high on the adrenaline that was flowing, but I'm not, I'm, I, I thought, that was really, if that's kayaking, I want to do that every day. That's fun, except for people have to drop you off and pick you up, and anyway, it's a hassle. I think God's will is like that, friends. It's like this current of a river that just sweeps you along. When we begin to understand it, it should be exhilarating, it should be refreshing, and you shouldn't be exhausted living life in God's will. In fact, if you're not in God's will, I think that's an exhausting experience because you're paddling against what he wants you to do. And that exhausts you and wears you out. So let's talk about what it means to be swept along by the current of God's will. Let me give you some generalities here so you can begin to understand what I'm talking about. There's some things we just need to know about God that just should sweep us along. First of all, God desires to save. It is his will to save people. In fact, in the Bible, it says this, God, Jesus is not slow in returning, but God wants all to be saved and none to be perished. So he's given people time to, to be saved as many as possible because God loves people and he's for people. He loves you and he wants you to be saved. He is for you, he's not against you. That's part of God's will, that's part of the current that just needs to sweep us along. We need to understand that and, and be in the midst of it. Uh, we're going to sing a song at the end of service today, Who Am I? And I love the bridge that says, I'm chosen, I'm not forsaken. I am who you say I am. You are for me, you're not against me. I am who you say I am. That kind of thought process and, and, and understanding of God needs to sweep you and I along. It's his will to save people. Another way that we really get swept along in God's will is this. The Bible, God revealed will to us. It's his revealed will. Uh, 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 16 says this. All scripture is God-breathed and is useful for teaching, instructing, and rebuking, and correction so that um, God's person can be trained in righteousness, um, thoroughly equipped for every good work. Okay? So if you're trying to understand what is God's will, it's the Bible. We need to know it. It needs to sweep us along, and we need to obey it. Some of the greats in the Bible, some of those Old Testament ones especially, that we admire so much, they simply knew God's word and lived accordingly. And they were swept along by the current of his will. And we look at them and call them great saints and, you know, 
these ancestors we want to emulate. Well, what was the success to the key to their life or key to their success? Was simply this. They followed God's will. They just lived in his ways. And, and they put themselves in the way of his blessedness then and experienced that as, as their life uh, reality. Um, I often will get questions. I used to get a lot more of these questions. Now people look at me and think, I don't know if you're relevant anymore, so they don't ask me those questions. Um, but I'd often get the question of, who should I marry? Do you think this guy or this girl is the right one for me to marry? And this would used to be coming from a Christian uh, person, okay? So, if you were asked by somebody who's a Christ follower, who should I marry, what would be your first answer? Another Christ follower. Correct? Why? Because the Bible clearly says, don't be unequally yoked. It'll cause you heartache and pain. That intimate relationship is meant to be one in spirit, body, and soul, right? And it's hard to have that oneness with somebody who doesn't believe like you believe. And I can't tell you how many times I've talked to a young person when they said, I'm in love with this person. I said, do they follow Christ? Well, I don't know. How do you not know that? How do you get to the point where you're giving them your heart and you don't know if they follow Jesus Christ? Do you follow Jesus? And then they're looking at me and they're feeling bad like they asked me. You know what I mean? No! You should not marry somebody who is not, is not, is not a Christ follower if you're a Christ follower. Why? Because it's a revealed will of God in the Bible, right? I'm being a little emotional here, aren't I? I think a lot of specifics that we have in our life, a lot of like, is this God's plan for me or whatever, are fleshed out by merely being caught up in the current of God's will and knowing his Bible really well and living according to its ways. Let's go on. Peter says, don't live as those who don't know Jesus. It is God's will that his followers be filled and with and controlled by the Holy Spirit. I mean, this is just absolutely critical. If you want to be swept along in God's uh, uh, will, if you want to be in that current, you have got to be filled with the Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit must be dominant in, in your life and directing you and, and, and guiding you. If you've never been filled with the person of the Holy Spirit, just ask God. He'll give you that. He'll give you that blessing. If you're a follower of Jesus and, and you want to just walk according to the Spirit, say, God, I want to walk according to your Holy Spirit. Holy Spirit, fill me. Just ask him to do that in your life. Um, we're to be filled with the Holy Spirit, brothers and sisters, speaking to one another in spiritual songs, hymns, and, 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 um, and psalms. We're to give thanks for everything in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. See, when you're in this big current, guess what? Most of life's questions get answered. Okay? When you're understanding God's for me, not against me, he wants, the, he wants the best for my life, he loves me, and then you understand his revealed will according to his word and you're filled with the person of the Holy Spirit, guess what? That is directional. And, it, and, and it'll be key to answering most questions. But I know this. Sometimes there's a specific decision you have to make. And you don't really know what to do. What do you do in that case? You know, when you just say, do I buy this house or not buy this house? Do I buy this car? Do I not buy this car, right? Uh, you follow some of these decisions and you go, well, how do I know what God's plan and will for me? First of all, I'm going to say this. Don't sweat that too much, <laughs> okay? <laughs> when you look at it in, in perspective of eternity, I don't know if God really is, well, he, how, how do I say this right? Your house is okay, but don't, don't make it more than what it should be, okay? Don't make it like, oh, I'm going to have so much anxiety over this. Now, 
if you're going to go into mindless amount of debt that you can't handle a payment for it, and you're going to talk to me, I'm going, I don't think you should do that. What do you think? Why would I say that? Because the Bible says, don't go into mindless amount. Anyway, I'm getting into, let's just go back to discerning God's specific direction in your life. Okay? So here's what I would say if you're trying to make a decision and you still don't know what to do. And, you know, and you're being swept along in the big current of God's will, okay? I'm assuming that. Now, how will this decision use your God-given gifts? How will this decision use your God-given gifts? should ask that question. I was reading this the other day. It is bad stewardship to spend your life in a position which needs somebody else's gifts. Hmm, I thought, hmm. Now, I've worked a long time in my life, and I've seen Murphy's Law... Uh, you know, example over and over again where somebody is really good at a particular job, therefore they get noticed, they get promoted, maybe not so good. And then they get promoted, now they're just not good at all. And then they sit in this job because they can't go on anymore and they kind of mess with the whole system. I've saw that a lot in engineering. Really good engineers, not so good supervisors, pretty poor managers. Because engineers aren't necessarily known for their people skills. Nothing against being an engineer. I'm one of them, okay? But I saw that a lot. And I thought, huh, interesting. And it's bad stewardship to spend your life in a position which needs somebody else's gifts. Seek out godly counselors and listen with an open heart. The Bible says wisdom's found with many counselors. Seek out counselors. If you're trying to make a decision, ask some people who've gone before you. Ask some godly people, what do you think? And then listen to them, even if they disagree with you. That's good for you. Next, are your motives pure? Ask God to search your heart and see if there be any waywardness there. Every time you're, you're, you're making some kind of decision and you can't seem to figure out, well, should I do this or not? Go to God with the transparency and say, God, reveal to me if, if I have a wrong motive. You know, if, if you're buying a car, I'll just talk on cars. And maybe you're wanting to buy one that's maybe two classes out of your range. Why? <laughs> do, you, do you feel like it's a status symbol? Do you feel like advertisement, you have to keep up with other people? Why would you not? You can buy a whole range of cars. You follow what I'm saying? And they all do the same thing. They get you from point A to point B. Now, I admit, some are very uncomfortable. So when I buy a car, <clears throat> I sit in and I say, the seat has to work. How about you all? Because I drive like five hours all the time. And so, so there's some parameters you should have. But you know what? If you're buying it as a status symbol, I'm going, I'm going to just mildly rebuke you here. Why? Why do you have that need? You don't have to do that. If you, if you got the means to do it, good for you. Enjoy it. Great. I don't, you know what I mean? But, you know, don't let the American dream define what you, what you do. Boy, am I talking a lot too much on this. Anyway, um, do you know what I'm talking about? One of the things I, I, I've been personally working on a lot is self-awareness. Why do I do what I do? What are the motives behind it? Are they pure God? Are they right in your sight? Um, We've just gone through this pandemic and it's been an opportunity for most of us to stand back and say, okay, God, do I really depend on you or is my reliance on the government or is my reliance on a career? And I'm not saying that careers are bad. They're good. But who defines us? God. And, and we have a lot of what I would call mental health issues going on right now and emotional hiccups going on right now in people's lives. And I think 
partly is when we trust the wrong sources for our lives, it, 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 it feeds into some of that. It's not always the whole situation, of course. Be careful what you trust. All right? Be self-aware. Ask if your motives are pure and ask if your heart is right before the Lord. If you're still not getting clarity on a decision, then follow the pattern of Proverbs 69. Make your plans, counting on God to direct your steps. So I see people get really, should I buy this house? Should I not buy this house? Well, do you need some place to live? Is the house reasonable? Yeah. Make an offer. <laughs> That's what I would say. If you really make an offer, and then if you don't get the house, okay, God just directed your steps. Amen? Amen? Don't think I have to climb the bidding war to get that house. Don't, let, don't get caught up in that. Come, come away. Pray about it. And say, this is my offer I'm going to make. If it gets accepted, great. If not, all right, God, you have something else for me, and you move on. Amen? <laughs> that was not very hearty, but that's okay. Um, okay, let's move on to the... Uh, uh, um, well, we're not going to move on. I'm going to go to 1 Peter 4, 6 and just talk about this verse because it's confusing. So I'm taking a, a commercial break. You all right with that? Listen to this. 1 Peter 4, 6 says this. For this reason, the gospel is preached even to those who are now dead so that they might be judged according to human standards in regard to the body, but live according to God in regard to the spirit. Boy, that's, that's a confusing verse to people. But, but, I, but here's the best explanation I've read. The dead here being referred to are the ones that the gospel has been preached to and have been saved in Jesus Christ. And they were wrongfully martyred or put to death or condemned according to human standards. And what Peter's saying here is in the resurrection, God's going to make everything right. One commentary said this, this scripture here is prospective. It's looking to the future judgment that's to come. It's not retrospective, looking back eons to those who died uh, before Christ. That's not what this is even referring to. And it looks forward, uh, not backwards. And it's saying at the end when all are judged, sinners are going to be judged according to what they did. But also those who trusted in Jesus, everything's going to be made right in him. Anyway, that's the best explanation I've seen for that verse. So I'm going to move on now to the second word and phrase that summarizes what I think First Peter 4 is telling us if we want to live for God. Urgency. We've got to live with urgency. Make following God an urgent endeavor in your life. Let me take you through a progression of thought here, okay? And see if this helps you to understand what Peter's saying. He's saying, he's saying the, the, the end of days is near, so he's saying live with urgency, okay? That's, that's contained in what I just read to you. So what if you had one day to live what would you do? Would you be make, make, make your life right with Jesus, right? Would you make sure the loved ones around you knew about Jesus Christ and what's going on in eternity? Would you express love to those who are close to you? Would you give everybody a hug that you knew of? Even I would do that. Okay? What if you had one month to live? What would you do? Would you make sure your relationship with Jesus Christ is right? Right? Two, would you make sure those around you who you love with all your heart, would you make sure they knew about Jesus? Would you make sure you hugged your kids, your parents, wherever the situation you're in, and make sure that they felt the warmth of your heart? Yeah. What if you like my mom? She's diagnosed with glioblastoma in August. They give her four months to live. What would you do? I know what I did over those four months. I visited her 11 times. She was 11 hours away from me. It's easy to remember at 11 on 11. I made sure I went to her a lot. I held her hand. I never held her hand before because we're Norwegian. We don't do that. 
I cried with her. She told me, I don't want to die. I said, I know, but I don't think we have a choice here. I prayed for her in earnest. She handed me her Bible. She said, you know, I'm a Christ follower. I said, that means the world to me. Because I didn't know. Because she's that quiet. And she wrote in there when she gave her life to Jesus Christ. And we had this deep conversation in that hospital. And she couldn't even open her eyes at the end. She was just in so much pain all the time. And I remember praying earnestly for her. And, and you know, you make it a priority to be with each other and talk about things that matter, right? What if you have one year to live? You see where I'm going with this, right? How would that affect your relationship with Jesus? Telling others about Jesus and, and loving those around you. What if it's 10 years? How would you live differently? Listen, we're all on a schedule to die. <laughs> some maybe a year, some 10 years. Some 20, 30, 40, 50, depending on where you're at in life. And what happens to us so frequently is it's easy to think I have all the time in the world. And we get apathetic. And we lose sight of what really matters. And Peter's saying to you and I here, live with the understanding that the end of days is near. Live with urgency. Peter says, be clear-minded, self-controlled, pray. Above all Love one another. Hospitality should define your relationship. And when we hear the word hospitality, we think, oh, that makes, we make meals for somebody. No, 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 no. You can do that if you want. Hospitality just means I greet you hospitably. When I see you, I go, hey, Mark, it's great to see you. I'm happy to actually have conversation with you. And I engage and I look at you. I'm hospitable. I, I, I'm not so task-oriented that when I go to Walmart, I don't see anybody because I do that all the time because I just want to get in and get out, right? And, but yet, when I see someone, I'll stop and I'll say, hey, how are you doing, man? It's good to see you. And you're being hospitable. You're being open. You're, you're being engaging. We're to one last word. I'm going to move on here now quickly. First Peter 4 says we have to do this if we want to uh, live the will of God. It's serving. We have to have a service mentality. And 1 Peter 4.10 said, use whatever gift God has graced you with to serve others. By doing this, you become God's instrument of grace uh, to that person and situation. Our mission statement here at Grace Point says, we want to encounter grace, grow in grace, and give grace. 1 Peter 4.10 is a a good theological basis for that last part of the missional statement uh, of giving grace. We're told here that we've been given gifts of grace, gifts of the person of the Holy Spirit, so that when you and I interact with one another, we can bring that to bear on that relationship, and we can use that gift then to bring God's grace into somebody else's life. So let me expand just a little bit on what it means to serve using the gifts God has given us. I think service is often unintentionally presented and understood as doing something like mowing somebody's yard or shoveling a driveway, but to serve others means this. I'm willing to look for ways to bless that person. It can be a word of encouragement. It can just be praying for somebody that's in a situation that's hard. If someone says to you, would you think of me and pray for you or for me? You know what I do? Yes, I'll pray right now. And I pray. Why wouldn't we do that when someone says, can you pray for me? Pray right then. Wherever you're at. I've prayed in shopping malls and parking lots. And when someone says that to me, because I'm a pastor, so I'll get told, can you pray for me? Yep. All right, right now. So if you chop me in Walmart and ask me to pray for you, I will. Okay? Sometimes, because I'm task-oriented, I I neglect to do that. If I neglected to do that with you, I'm sorry. Okay? But if you give me a second chance, I'll do it. (laughs) 
It means I can show empathy and I can listen to others and I can see them and I can see their situations. Our first Peter 4 verses today once again state that we're to love each other deeply. This has been stated over and over again in Peter several times. And what he's saying here is how we love one another deeply is by using the gifts that God has given us to serve one another. So let's talk about serving for just a moment. Let me clarify something about how gifts and serving go together, okay? Sometimes when we talk about spiritual gifts, like the listed ones in Romans chapter 12, where you see the gifts of prophecy and serving and uh, teaching and encouragement and giving and leadership and mercy identified as some of these gifts of grace. Sometimes we think, unless I'm gifted to teach, I can't teach. Let's talk about that one, for instance. Let's say we have seven teachers, and they all have a different spiritual gift. They're going to serve differently in that same calling. So if you're a teacher that you're prophetically gifted, you're going to want the truth to come out. You're going to be facts-oriented. You're going to say the truth will set you free. The truth is clarifying. I'm very prophetically gifted, so I love truth. I love blunt talk. Sometimes people will talk to me very bluntly about something, and I'll say, well, since you're talking bluntly to me, can I talk bluntly back? Because I love blunt exchange. I'm okay with it. And I don't like it when someone wants to be blunt to me and they don't want to hear back is all. I just love exchange like that. You know, and so if you're going to say something really blunt to me sometime, come on, let's do it. Just let me do it back. All right? Right? Amen? I love those kind of teachers. I had a lot of those teachers and I said, probably because I'm built that way, I go, amen, say it, man. I don't care. I want to hear it. I just want to hear the truth. Then you got the server who's a teacher. Oh man, they're such a blessing. Serving people. And they think, well, when you see these gift tests, it seems like a lot of the body has serving as their Holy Spirit gift. You know why? It's so desperately needed. And servers just see other people and they see their needs really well. And that teacher will see the kids and they'll go beyond the surface and they'll see needs and they'll minister to the needs. And they're such a blessing to kids. And then there's one who's teaching who's actually teaching motivated. Teaching gifted. Everybody's a student. They love to learn. They love to just bring new things. And they'll, they'll talk about how, how great it is, the joy of learning, and, and how everything is a lesson. And I know my wife is watching right now and doing the Facebook stuff. She's a teacher, motivated. Everything in our life is a lesson. I love you, hon. <laughs> we always are learning. And sometimes I'm a little tired of learning, but uh, we are always learning because that's her motivation. And it actually is a really a good way of looking at life. And, and I tell you what, and then you have the teacher who's an encourager. That's my son. I asked him, how do you teach ninth graders? He does a really good job because he's, a, he's such an encourager. He's always saying, good job, well done. I watch him with his little boy, Sam, and Sam will do something. To, good job, Sam, or good job, James, right? You know, he's always just encouraging, encouraging, encouraging. Do you ever have a teacher that's an encourager? They bless you, Right? You know, a teacher that's a leader, they'll get you into pods of learning, uh, you know, and they'll, she, she or he will assign you each pod of kids a different, like, lesson or a different assignment, and they all have to then share it with one another, because leaders can't help but organize. They say, why am I going to do all the work? I'll get all these kids to do part of the work for me. They might as well learn while they're doing, right? And that's, that's, a, that's a leader, an organizer. But you see what I'm saying here, right? With this, these gifts then bring the full orb kind of uh, effect of, of Christ to bear in a situation. So let me end here with, um, with this reflective question that uh, evidently is someplace where I lost it. 
But you have it there in your note-taking guide, right? And uh, so, in all things, the goal is to bring praise and glory to God by living to him through Jesus Christ is our ending statement. Guys, back it up to one last one for me. Were you there? The reflective question? Hopefully there, there you go. Sometimes we look for the perfect service to fit our, our uh, they are really not going to help me here. Sometimes we look for the perfect service fit to our giftedness before serving, when what we should do is be willing to serve, bringing our giftedness to that service. Okay, so that was the final point of, this, of the service part. And then the last one is that we should do all for the praising and glory of Jesus. And I ended with a not bang. All right, let's pray. Lord God, I want to thank you for uh, this teaching of, of First Peter that brings us more into what it means to, to live for you, God. And we understand it contains these three big thoughts. We're, we want to live for your will. We want to, uh, uh, you know, uh, be ones who are, are, are urgently following after you. And we are ones who acknowledge that you've gifted us. You've gifted us, Lord, to be your gift to others. And I think if we want to really live for you, God, we'll these three things will be something that we pursue and that we try to do with one another. We love you so much, Jesus. And I pray for the people of Grace Point. God, may we live for you so that we get to the end of our days and we can say, it's been a good life. Following Jesus has been the best life. And we can look back with reflective gratitude, Lord, and thank you for the days that you grace us with on this earth. May it be so in everyone here this day, Lord. I pray this in your name and by your blood, Jesus. Amen.